0: I don't care what this costs because I don't want my mother to be trapped in her house. And so the suggestion like uh, that uh, of why, why build these, there are millions, tens of millions of people out there right now, the people themselves and their kids like me who desperately want more, better options. And so I have a very emotional reason, much stronger than a week or month ago for why I'd like these things to work.
1: Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of *Ludicrous: the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors.
2: And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch.
1: And I'm Alex Roy, the um,
0: director at Special Operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. You guys ready to roll? I'm on fire today. You, I you might are be. super I'm not sure fired up, I mean, Alex. This All is right. right. Um, you well, want I guess. Should we start in reverse order with the latest news or the news from three weeks ago? Quick, vote. Too late. Your, Kyle, vote. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, vote just announced that he's going back. He's going to be CEO of Cruise again. I have lots I could say. Would one of you like to go first?
2: Well, I actually spoke to him. I'm I'm going to be writing up a little bit more on his comments to me. And, and a lot of it was what you might expect.
0: How's Alex Roy doing? <laughs> Is Alex Roy okay? Can I yeah. have this phone Your name number? didn't
2: come up. Your name did not come up. Go on. Um, you know, really, I was like, obviously, I'm not expecting deep insights into stuff that, you know, he knows I'm a journalist. So it's not as if, and it was official interviews. So it's not as if he was going to say, you know, give me, um, you know, let me look under the hood too much in terms of what he was thinking and how that all went down. But it does seem, you know, one interesting thing that he did say, and he actually tweeted about it too, is that. You know, it takes in his mind about 10 years um, for a startup to really build something. And so they're about year eight. And so he feels like, one, he's in a better situation than he was prior um, and has actually learned how to be a CEO. So he feels comfortable being in that position again. I did ask him if he still talks to Dan and he said, yes. So I said okay, <laughs> um, and and I appreciated that honesty. And I said, uh, and he said he taught me a lot. And I said, well, what did he teach you? And I think <sighs> he had to think about it for a minute, but <laughs> it sounded it sounded like what he was trying. Because I think he was trying to be careful, you know, to be clear. But um, but I do think that what he learned from him was sort of the nuance, minutia, and complexity of deals with investors. Um, which makes sense, right? So we will see what he does in this uh, uh, new old position.
0: Wow. That was a diplomatic answer to someone else's answer, but
1: go. Yes, Ed. Oh, I was just, I think my, my take on this is, uh, is, uh, you know, I think it, it's been, it's been cool to see um, Oliver Cameron uh, go over there and kind of really um, help Step up some of the the public facing communication stuff, and just kind of be out there in the mix. Like he he actually like replies to people on Twitter and stuff, and does stuff that like not not every uh, CEO or, or or big sort of you know character in the space uh, uh, does necessarily. Uh, he's a little bit more open and, and and public facing, so I think like that's a really complementary piece to it. I think it's 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 always so easy to focus on the one person at the top, and like that's kind of we're, we're kind of biased towards that, but I think. You know, really, ultimately, like good management is is usually like a team sport of some kind, or often is not always.
0: Are you are you referring to Oliver Cameron's recent thread uh, where he did an interview on with Tesla stand Dave Lee's uh, chant? Did you watch that?
1: I actually did not see that interview. I, I
0: thought it was very entertaining that Oliver would submit himself to interact with someone who's so. Tesla Stanny. Um, but <laughs> Oliver said a couple of things. He, he said a couple of things in there, which I I uh, I, <laughs> I guess must have calmed down the Tesla stance. Oliver said, this is great. Uh, yeah, you, you could build an AV camera alone, but if you want it to be as safe as it could possibly be with the current state of the art, you're going to have to add more sensors. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And uh, so I think his exact, I think what he said was that day of camera only AVs, is not today.
1: Well, I think I think what you're ta- what you're describing here, is exactly what what sets Oliver, you know, a little bit apart. Is that he is willing to go to places where he knows, like you know, it's going to be a little bit of a hostile audience. You, you know, there's going to be he's, he's going to have to convince people. And like I think that's something. And I think the, the whole space is moving a little bit in that direction um, generally. But I think I think more of that is good. And um, hopefully, with Oliver's at his side, like Kyle and, and Cruz will sort of keep moving in that direction.
2: I'm actually shocked that you didn't know that a Tesla Oliver Cameron conversation was even happening, Ed.:
1: Well, I was on vacation for much of the last week, so
2: <laughs> Okay, well, that's a good excuse.
1: It is what it is. Uh, I th- unspoken in, in the vote's
0: return to the CEO role uh, is the fact I, I think this is really important to state how few people are actually qualified to lead an AV company. At this level, because you need to be not just a a CEO like who understands finance, but also understand the technology and a lot of other things. I think that it was a long shot to believe that a rando could come in and take that seat.
2: Right. Real, the, I mean, real... Dan wasn't a rando, but they've tried the bring in someone from from GM approach. And, in it, and it, in many ways, maybe, you know, we won't know until we can talk to people more frankly about how everything went down. And, um, I mean, I have some, some information, but not enough to really talk about it here.
0: Oh, I've got information,
2: <laughs> but I'm talking about prior to the exit. We know that there was conflict, right. Between Dan and, um, and the powers that be over at GM between Mary Barra and, and, and Mark Rose. We know, we know that, um, but he did bring a level of expertise in terms of deal making, and um, and maybe didn't have the technical knowledge that Kyle had, but has, but um, brought that. To say, to think that they're going to bring in another outsider would be, I think, very difficult. Um, to your point, and then you know someone even outside of GM, I don't, I mean, I think it would be a very long search and um it would it's possible but it's a very small short list right um to me what's going to be interesting is that kyle is also maintaining the cto role um he did say that some people have been promoted or some things have been shuffled around um some people have been shuffled around or have new duties and responsibilities to take some of the, the lift but that is a lot to manage you know the ceo role and a cto role in a company that is trying to commercialize um that's that that is a lot to juggle. So we'll see how that plays out.
1: Well, and and I think your point that you know
2: sort
1: of uh, to expand on 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 your point about the relationship with GM like that is the key factor here, right? Like who's at the top matters, but ultimately I think what's what what matters in some ways more, what I'm more curious about anyway, what I think is more sort of consequential if you're looking at cruise and, and trying to understand where it's going is Sort of what what is the you know where has that relationship with GM settled because it's kind of been an issue for a, a very long time, and like a lot of things in the AV space, there's just a lot you know there's different views about which way to go and and no one knows what which are right and which are wrong and so I think to me that's the the really interesting question here is like sort of below the the individual personnel choices like where has that relationship yeah like settled
0: you know all of this is very entertaining but the most entertaining part of it is that. It was just a few weeks ago, if you recall, that Cruz announced they were going to offer these rides to the "quote unquote" public uh, in San Francisco, fully driverless, meaning no one up front in the car. Uh, And in the Twitter sphere, the days that followed, some people pointed out the rides are 11 p.m. or is it 10 p.m., 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. um, according to the CPUC permit. And although it's open to the public, there's a wait list, and I don't know if any, any member of the public who has been in a car. And I predicted that this occurred cuz Waymo was imminently going to announce something and guess what Waymo just announced Drivered, meaning safety operators 24/7 rides up to the public in San Francisco and i i really believe that the cruise move was so they could claim some fir- a some type of first um in anticipation of Waymo doing the same and so this is really fascinating and i have not yet seen have you seen waymo's uh Operating domain or fence for operations, drivered operations? Because I'd be curious to know how much bigger it is than Cruises.
1: Well, I know it's different, right? I know it's um, sort of over in the Sunset area more, but I, I don't know offhand uh, uh, exactly like size-wise how the, how the two compare.
0: I, I suspect that Waymo's is going to be much larger. because, And because they have the safe, twin safety operators, they have... They don't really care what the optics of that are. They're going to claim the biggest deployment in San Francisco versus the first deployment, and then, like Godzilla, it's going to be a let them fight situation where these two behemoths with swimming in cash are going to fight it out for well the business. It remains to be seen.
1: Well, and and Waymo just started uh, operating for uh, uh, commercially right in in San Francisco. They're they're getting paid now.
0: Oh yeah, they got that. Per- that's the, they got their CPUC permit, right? But is that for is that for Taxi rides or is that for? Uh, well, delivery? no.
2: What it means is, so in the state of California, you've got uh, two regulatory bodies that are sort of in control here. So the DMV, and that's um, you know testing, drivered and driverless, right? And you have to go through those permits. But then once you get through, jump through those regulatory hoops. At the same time, you have to go through the California Public Utilities Commission, right? which also, um, regulates ride hailing. Right. Um, and it essentially is like, okay, now you can charge. Um, the first company to get that was neuro because they, you know, they don't have people in vehicles, their vehicles, you cannot put a person in. Um, so basically last night, uh, Waymo, um, received this final permit which now they can charge riders for ride-hailing trips. Um, A human safety operator has to be present based on that permit. But I think you're right, Alex, is that this gives them the ability to go have a much larger geographic footprint and work on that. And then slowly, you know, do what they did in Phoenix, which is, you know, take the driver safety driver out.
0: So it, it, do you have an opinion regarding how this is going to play out either? Or, or maybe Ed doesn't want to share it because he's become a nice guy?
1: Ed? Do I know how it's going to play out? What? Well,
0: I mean, you're San Francisco. Did you see the, um, what was the tweet from Jeffrey Tumlin after the cruise deployment? And there's another guy on Twitter who's like, he's hammering crews. cruise. He's like, why are these vehicles stopping in the middle of the street? Why are they only operating at night? Why are they blocking traffic? Like, d- Doesn't it seem like... The city should have been, like, simpatico with this in advance?
2: I mean... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know what you mean by that question. Like, I'm trying to be they diplomatic. But obviously, they've... Uh, you know, obviously, the CPUC and the DMV are well aware of what Waymo Cruz and any other company trying to test in there is doing. I mean, it's... They've been... Cruise, for example, I think I mean they applied for that CPUC permit a while ago, and and Waymo did as well. So I'm not sure what. Hey, so would it I be guess known? What,
0: I'm, what I'm baiting you to get into with me is: oh, have you read okay. Have you read the Cruise CPUC application? I haven't. No, not in detail. It's a comprehensive and and fascinating document. It's chock full of details about like the UI the app and all these other things. But I just find I, I can't believe someone would go through the trouble to to create a document of that complexity and detail. And then there without anticipating that somebody in San Francisco was going to come after them for where they stop in the middle of the street.
2: Oh, I see. So, but was it is this individual like a city official or something? I didn't catch that. Or is yeah, he's it not, like, regular he's like the head
1: of the of the of the municipal transit authority, as far as I know.
2: Oh, okay, okay. And
1: there's also a few other people grumbling about it. I, it just, I, I well, feel I like... think there's
2: going to be a ton of grumbling about these vehicles for the years in the years to come. I mean, look what happened with just simple things like uh, a bunch of the Waymo vehicles all going to the same dead end street, um, and what that caused, which was like a flurry of. Local news and some, you know, other outlets picking up on that story for a week. I think that we're going to continue to see that. Um, even the most careful and cautious AB companies, as they deploy, I think, will get that because there is fundamentally going to be a difference in in how people expect those vehicles to operate and how they do. I, th- I think what it Alex is, human drivers.
1: yeah, I think what Alex is getting at is is more sort of just like, you know this maybe suggests that the relationship between Cruz and like the city maybe isn't as deep as, as, as you might hope for, or might be ideal. Look, I, you know, um, the, you know, I think you, it's definitely a reasonable way to, to interpret that, but I also don't think that necessarily like the head of public transit is going to be their point person for that relationship or even necessarily deeply involved unless, you know, the service that Cruz is offering somehow, is 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 supposed to be sort of integrated with the with the public transit system, which I think is an interesting idea, and and maybe there was opportunity there too. I don't know, but like, yeah, I, I think Kirsten is right. Like, you know, bumps in the road are going to happen. You know, have happened to almost every company. Will continue to happen to to every company. And I think especially, you know, we we spoke recently about sort of the tension between like trade secrets and 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 this desire for public trust in the technology that the the industry talks about. I personally think like stigmatizing too much these bumps in the road, uh, problematizing them too much could potentially create the wrong culture around it. Like a similar thing that like like when we when we fixate on the word recall in the auto industry, in the traditional auto industry, and make recalls out to be a bad thing, they're they're not. They're actually a good thing. And we should try and create an environment where it's not like automatically, oh, recall bad. Like recall is the company doing the right thing. The problem is the defect, right? And so I think that like like if we I, I think it is kind of appropriate or or or, or uh, to to try to foster a little bit of a culture around saying like don't whitewash problems right but like create an environment in which it's okay to admit that there have been problems like what we're doing is really really hard here and like mistakes happen and, and will happen and and I think as long as you know we're learning from them and and evolving that that's that's sort of the right attitude and I think if we get too hung up on On, like I said, kind of problematizing these little things that that maybe maybe we'll see less transparency, right, and less openness and willingness to admit.
2: Great, your time is up, Kirsten. You're up. (laughs) Well, what I was going to say was, um, I'm going to take the middle of the road here, which is Ed is correct that you don't want to stigmatize things. However, if any company, Cruise, Waymo, Zooks, anyone in operating in San Francisco doesn't have a deep partnership and open communication with the city on a, on the regular, they will run into all sorts of problems. And I don't have insight into what that relationship is between Cruz and the city. I would like to, uh, you know, I think it'd be silly to assume that it's good because San Francisco has a history of one dealing with a lot of tech that comes to their city streets and then, you know, reacting back to it earlier than a lot of other cities. So we saw that with scooters and ride hailing. And so I don't think that they're like too keen necessarily or open um, to give any AV company like the benefit of the doubt of like operating their city because they've seen how that's played out before, which is why we've seen like the CPUC um, take, you know, a fairly strong and slow stance. But, but I, so, so any company that is not, you know, positive relationship and actively lobbying and talking to the city in San Francisco is going to have a, a major problem.
0: Uh, in fact, I'll take that even further. I I feel like multiple companies building this tech are going to bake it in such a way that they could be the foundation of a viable product, and that the real moat is going to be it's not going to be policy. It's going to be the quality and depth of community engagement, because these companies need to be able to not just survive, but thrive across, over time to become generational companies. That means they have to be supported by the community in a way that transcends
1: individual elections. Without that, it's game over. I think you're right. And, and by the way, like I think it's part part disclosure and part plug here, but uh, we recently had a, a a conversation about kind of this issue building consensus as as you know a, a part of engaging um, with cities ahead of deploying AVs there, uh, featuring one of one of Alex's colleagues. So I think like this topic has been. Did you? Who was it? Uh, uh yeah, Monica. Um, of course, Monica Laufer. Of course, she's, she's wonderful. She 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 spoke about a, a bunch of things uh, very eloquently. Uh, it was a great conversation. But but and and you know we we hosted that conversation because I think. You know I, I don't necessarily see it in in terms of a like competitive advantage um you know it is a competitive,
0: it's I, a competitive advantage and the right thing to do so and, rare and,
1: so. and I think that that's that's great like any anytime companies see um you know building uh, public uh, obtaining public consent um and and really working to build public trust as as being in the in their interest that is a, an awesome alignment of of interests um and I really hope that that continues to like that becomes sort of the norm in the in the AV industry, and that was one of the reasons why that conversation was really important, I think, for us to to have.
0: Moving on to something that Ed feels strongly about, it's not Tesla.
2: Well, well. Oh, I I, I was going to say, well, maybe, maybe you were about to make the segue into the into the topic that we should talk about, but we talk about competition. Yeah, we talk about competition within the AV industry, and you know, this whole idea of you know, the race. Um, and so David Zipper had a really interesting column a few weeks ago that I know Ed has lots of thoughts on. I have
1: a few thoughts on it, um, but I guess we should, we should maybe like uh, attempt Intro to sort it. of yeah characterize <laughs> it for people. So if you haven't read it, it it's in the Washington post. Uh, it, it was published uh, on February 4th. So it was, it's been a while. And by the ancient way, ancient history, I, ancient history, we should also preface this by saying, you know, David Zipper is a, you know, I think, I, I certainly. A mean, friend of the show. Myself. Yeah, I think he's a friend of the show. He's I consider him a, a friend and someone who I really enjoy discussing these topics with. And and like m- maybe we should have waited to have him on to even discuss his piece and give well, him a
0: chance. Why don't you make, of- Can you keep your remarks to under three minutes with, and catch your breath so Kirsten
1: can speak?
2: Impossible. Make Impossible. it two minutes.
1: Try. All right. Try. it. <laughs> uh, so I think that's the most important context. Uh, does someone want to explain the piece? Since I'm not supposed
0: to be talking. Yeah, so why, is it, basically, if I recall, it's, what, does anyone want these things? Where's the demand? Even if they work, does anyone care? And what's the point? That's Am I summing it up correctly?
1: I mean, I think that's a, a broad characterization. Well,
0: okay. How about this? How about this, Ed? So, so you, have something, you have something to talk about. Let's read the title. Companies are racing to make self-driving cars, but why? They may not be safer than human drivers, and they'll make gridlock worse. A lot to unpack there. Um, and as someone who at one time was very skeptical of self, of autonomous vehicles, not the technology. I was always skeptical of the business models. Um, I understand David's point of view, and I disagree with elements of it. And we should have him on the show to discuss it. But, Ed, would you like to address your opposition? Because I've got something to say.
1: I mean, what you, you seem ready to go. Why don't you go first? And then I'll.
0: And so I'm going to say, and I say this with love for David Zipper. He's my friend. We talk all the time. Every technology has had people say the same thing about it. It can never work. Then, oh, it works. Nobody's going to want it. Then, oh, someone wants it. Oh, but it's too expensive. Then the price came down. But it doesn't help everybody. Then it helped everybody. And then we took it for granted and moved on to the next one. And autonomous vehicles will be no different. Uh, The question now is who will build a viable business, when, and when, how, and why will people trust them, and how can we make them do the most good while mitigating um, the presence and scale of second-order consequences. And could, maybe those could be good too. These are all questions to be answered that prior generations have answered around everything that's come before, elevators, cars, trains, planes. And we could have done any number of those things better, and hopefully those lessons will be addressed by the autonomous vehicle sector. Kirsten, you've raised your hand.
2: Um, <laughs> thank you for calling on me. I was going to say, though, before I jumps in, he does ask some, I guess, interesting questions, which we have seen um, it, it somewhat come up with with ride, the promises around ride-hailing, right? So, mm. um, you know, questions or promises around how um, autonomous vehicles, specifically robo-taxis, might boost productivity. Um, and you know, he puts out the responses that this seems like unlikely and in to a study, I'm not necessarily agreeing with his takeaways, but I do think that that is an important question to ask in general, which is, are the promises of autonomous vehicles, specifically robo taxis going to boost productivity, going to reduce traffic congestion, going to, you know. Fight climate change, and I guess it all depends on how it's deployed and op and operates in a particular city, um, because we've seen with ride-hailing that at least initially, because people fundamentally don't like sharing, that it mm-hmm. increased traffic. So, mm-hmm. so you know, if you have an autonomous vehicle that is designed to promote and actually encourage incentivize sharing, then you won't have that gridlock issue, right? But if you just have Standard vehicles in which one person jumps into an autonomous vehicle uh, that may, you know, hurt um, or uh, increase gridlock. So it really depends on how it's deployed. So he asked some really interesting questions in here. It just that I think some of the answers might be a little. We might be a little too early to answer any of those questions.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think that's definitely definitely agree with that. Um, I you know I, I think. But you're especially right about the fact that like asking these questions, should we even be doing this like at all, is a good question to be asked, and and asking whether the values like th- these are definitely good questions to ask. And so I, I definitely like I commend uh David for for asking them in a in a public you know in a prominent sort of platform. I, I do think like I, I guess I on um, sort of a like my friendly advice would be sort of like would be to question a little bit like is this framing of like, should we even develop this new technology? It's a little out of touch with how our, our culture relates to technology, which is it's part of his point, I think, and part of why questions like this are important. But I think it does sort of potentially limit the audience because I just don't think a lot of people believe that we can just decide not to develop it's new absurd. technologies.
0: It's well, absurd.
1: Again, I, I'm not saying it's absurd. That's, that's your it view. Is, it
0: is absurd because it's... <laughs> because people develop what they develop it it can't be stopped like the well, progress can't be stopped only all we can do is channel it f- hopefully for good
1: right so and and i think that so 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 channeling it for good i think that gets to sort of my other sort of point about this which is that you know and and obviously like this is this this view is is influenced by the fact that i think a lot about like you know educating the public about these topics and stuff and i think that like Ultimately, the way we do channel new technologies towards good outcomes is by, you know, getting as many people into conversation about about how we might use the technology, the problems that exist out there um, that might be solved by this, uh, the, the the benefits and the, and the potential like pitfalls of of, of well, deploying and using this technology well, in certain ways.
0: Wait, wait a second, Ed. By that standard, you should quit, and Kylie Jenner should replace you and hand out Pepsi's uh you don't get the joke. You don't you, you know that's no.
1: Well, I I, I think I'm the, being like, I think my idealistic worldview is being mocked here, but uh but Did you see the commercial I've where Kylie it. Jenner it hands at the Pepsi and says, "Let's join the conversation." Alex, it wasn't Kylie. I hate to break it to you. Who was, was it? was Kendall. Kendall
0: oh, whatever. Just, I can't tell them apart. Is that maybe a bad person?
1: Now, now that I've owned you with facts and science, um, <laughs> okay. let me let me finish my point. I'll try and make it brief, so I so I don't tax your attention span too much here. My issue with this piece is that he he sort of says like, "Hey, let's have this up or down vote on whether AVs are a good thing." And, and in doing that, like flattens this really, really broad, diverse category of technology, right? So, so, uh, you know, into one thing, he says, AVs are like this one coherent thing and we can sort of, and, and so what he ends up doing is, is right, is, is to say like, well, okay, like people, people claim that there will be congestion advantages to AVs, but we know that like certain applications of these and this is the part he doesn't say is certain applications right if we had self-driving cars like cars like we own privately today but that just happen to be able to drive themselves everywhere like if that version of this technology happens then yeah like congestion is going to be way worse but but like he's by flattening it he gets to kind of pick and choose like his battles and say this is all just talking about the same thing but it's not he's lumping it all together so, that, so I, I think it's like kind of fundamentally. I don't want to accuse him of being dishonest here. Like, I don't know that he's necessarily trying to be unfair to the technology that way. But I'll tell you what, what frustrates me about it is that a, I don't think that like reading this piece makes people helps people understand really the issues um, that that matter. And and what it, and instead of having it be this up or down, yes or no thing, I really wish he were more asking people to try and helping people understand that this technology, in fact, has many different possible futures.
0: Okay, great, Ed. Kirsten, you want to go next or can I say something? I'm going to say that I appreciate uh, Zipper's attempt to be the naysayer and that we should have him back in the show to discuss it. And I will now use that as a segue into this next part. My mother uh, has been driving her whole life. I bought her a car. Um, for her 60th birthday. And I just learned, she just learned that she can no longer drive. She's turning 80 and um, she had an incident and which indicated she should not be driving with to sell her car. She's terrified um, that she won't be able to get around and she's going to have to move. And I'm going to say this. I don't care. <laughs> like the, like my business Alex, Argo Alex would like autonomous vehicles to work. So my mother will have another option because she's not riding a bike around and I would like a, Argo and other companies like Argo to build viable, real businesses at scale, so as many people like my mother as possible can get around. Um, And I like those businesses to be successful, meaning profitable and you know, and grow over decades. But emotional, Alex, me personally, I don't care what this costs because I don't want my mother to be trapped in her house. And so the suggestion, like uh, that, uh, of why why build these? There are millions tens of millions of people out there right now, the people themselves and their kids like me who desperately want more, better options. And so I have a very emotional reason, much stronger than a week or month ago, for why I'd like these things to work.
2: You, you bring up one thing that um, maybe now, hopefully people will pay more attention to though, which is there's long been promises by the autonomous um, vehicle industry to um, help people who once they lose their license or maybe they've never had a license. So access um, to the blind community, for example, um, or uh, elderly people or seniors who have lost their license. Um, And then that to me screams the importance of how you plan on interacting with these groups of people and how you're building your app and how you're um, designing your vehicle. Um, because if that it's, it can't just work, um, Alex, if your mother would be feeling comfortable enough to access and use, an uh, AV every single day, it, it, they'll fundamentally have many of them that you see testing will fundamentally have to be different or, um, you do know, have a different way of communicating and accessing that, you know, senior population, for example. And then I realized that right now, what a lot of the focus has been on is the technology and getting it to work safely and verifying, validating it. Um, but the UX matters now, um, a lot. It
0: matters a lot. Uh, you know, I've actually, I ride in these things a lot. I've ridden in competing vehicles too. I'm, I feel like safe getting, riding, not all of them in some of them, certainly ours and at least one other competitors, uh, the UX is everything. And it, it's it's amusing to hear people talk about these things as a problem to be solved as much as a um, 2,000 problems or an infinite number of problems to be solved forever. Because I still don't own a plane. I'd love a plane that just you know shows up cheap. It's mine. I don't expect there to be one for me in my lifetime.
1: I mean, I think this this kind of ties actually quite well into sort of, some of the issues that that David Zipper brought up in terms of like, you know, the the sort of overselling of 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 certain kinds of advantages um, that, that AVs may well ultimately prove to have, um, but I think like you know if you have some like personal experience with with you know friends, family member, whatever people with with disabilities or limited mobility or, or these kinds of challenges, I think you know y- you understand. In a way that not everyone in in the AB space has always understood that like, you have to be really careful about, about how, you know, uh, over promising and under delivering. Yes. Because, because, you know, if you don't really understand what it's like to live with these limitations, you don't understand how desperate people are to believe that like deliverance from those limitations are, 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 are at hand, right? People really, really want to believe that. And I get like emails and stuff from people who are like, when, when is this going to happen? Like, I'm disabled. I, I've been waiting for this. When is this going to happen? And so I do think, like, you know, and and, and I think it, it ties back to something actually that we've done on this show. One of the very earliest, like, principles for how we were going to do this show was, like, let's avoid getting off into sci-fi land, right? Let's talk about, let's try and talk about real things. And, like, we've been fairly consistent about that. And and I think that's one of the things that 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 works for us. And And I think it's something that, like, Especially with these sorts of uh, you know issues, it's super important. Like, if you're going to talk about something, um, try to make it real. Try to have some something real to anchor that to, because otherwise, be honest. It's more than just being honest. It's it's being it's understanding that you're you know that that putting these benefits out there as being something that could come along very soon. Um, has a very real effect on people. And it's not always the one that, that you're going to think. Like I think people tell themselves like, oh, we'll tell them this and they'll give them all, all this hope and stuff. And that may be true in the short run. But if you're not delivering on that, if you don't have the real thing that you, know, that you, you know, anchored those expectations to and that you can actually deliver on, you know, then I think you're doing something other than just raising hope. And, and I Kirsten, think that's where it gets problematic. Do you
0: have anything to add to that? Because I've only got one more thing to discuss.
2: You should uh you should you should bring up your one more thing to discuss. No, I said what I wanted to say about that UX is important, business model matters, uh vehicle design matters. Um if you really intend to reach the people that you have been not you as in the collective A- AV company you um have been promising to reach. And so we'll see how that evolves over the next, you know, one to five years, I don't think that it's going to happen, you know, tomorrow. I don't, every, every vehicle on the road right now that you see testing, I don't think is capable of really meeting the requirements of everyone, uh, certainly not the disabled community. However, it is a start if it's, you know, if the app works well and the the communication within the vehicle works well, um, you start to carve out. Reaching more of those folks. But until you have a vehicle that can, you know, accommodate any wheelchair, you're not fully, you know, um, meeting that promise.
0: Which brings us to the true test of self driving.
2: Last week,
0: I parked my car uh, underneath a sign that said it was a legal spot. 50 feet away was a different sign I didn't see. When I returned, my car had been towed. Let me walk you back from the racket of criminality that defines towing services in most major American cities, but specifically Miami Beach. There was a valet uh, location that was unstaffed when I arrived and entered my information from my car into the app. I think it's Park Mobile is the app for that location in Miami Beach. Parked my Tesla, came back, car's done. Valets were like, yeah, we came back and you were like six inches or whatever, a foot into the valet zone, which was not active upon arrival. So they call a number. Uh, It's a city number. The city then, based on some opaque relationship, doles out the tows to one of two companies in South Beach. I think it's called this beach towing, and then there's uh, Tremont Towing. So my car was less than eight minutes towed. So I call the two tow companies, and my car has not yet been ingested into either of them. So I call the city, and amazingly, a human being picks up. It's a miracle. Which The fact that a human picked up for this call suggests that, hmm, Someone's getting paid. Uh, and they informed me that my car would end up at beach towing. So I get in an Uber. It's a $25 Uber. I get to beach towing. There's a line of unhappy people, of course, in front of a counter with full of bulletproof glass. And as I stand there, my car arrives. Uh, the basic tow is $249. They also require your registration, which you know, I guess is pretty standard. And then it occurred to me, I've paid for the Tesla full self-driving package. The gate is open. My car's inside. I'm forbidden from entering that property. It would be trespassing. The car is in possession of the, of the people and the uh, and I. So I said to the guy, I said, "What would happen right now if I activated my full self driving and had my Tesla drive out to the curb?" He's like, "Good luck, buddy." So, I walked over to the gate with my car fifty feet away, and I opened the Tesla app and I tried to smart summon it. And what do you think happened?
2: You weren't close enough.
0: Oh, I was close enough, all right. And, if, and it saw the car, and as soon as I hit, um, you know, uh, what come to me, it just didn't go. Perfect line of sight. If ever there was a use case for Tesla full self-driving, it was this, and it didn't work. In fact, I'm quite sure that if it had worked at all, the, the t- everybody in the tow panel lot would have cheered and clapped. So I paid 249 cash, and they said, you can go get your car. And then as I uh, drove out, one of the guys hits me, you know, we haven't ever towed one of those before. I'm um, like, why not? He's like, well, you know, people usually don't park him illegally. It doesn't really happen. I'm like, would you mind if I get out and try to test something with your consent? He's like, go ahead. I'm like, I'd like to try this full-cell driving. I want to see if the car can get out of this lot on its own. And he's like, we all would like to see that. And I got out and I moved the car to the perfect location. All it had to do was back up 40 feet to get to the sidewalk. And guess what? It didn't work. So, for all those people who think this is, I'm making this story up, I'll be going back when I'm not so busy and doing this with the participation and cooperation of the folks at Beach Towing, who, as soon as they told them the whole story I just told you, thought this was hilarious and that I and everyone else who paid for Tesla FSD is an idiot. Because according to the guy there, it would put them out of business. I mean, God, Tesla really should offer an expansion pack or an OTA update that if a tow truck is identified by, the, by your parked Tesla, it gets out of its spot and drives away. That is a real self-driving use case. Um, it's also why I would do anything for autonomous vehicles to operate from where I live to the beach so I never have to go through this again. And that's my rant for today's episode of the Autonicast.
2: I'm very disappointed in that story. I was really hoping that it was going to work, that (laughs) there would be this commotion that, you know, drama would unfold. But instead, it was just sort of like,
0: Listen, if it had worked, I would have gladly have risked a rest to get in that car and drive away. Um, But I couldn't. Listen, you know, there's smart summon and there's basic summon. I couldn't even basic summon it out of there. It wouldn't go.
2: Have you tested it often? I mean, do you even use summon?
0: So, I is have, there
2: any application besides that to use summon?
0: I would I can I would like to know because I've attempted. I mean, What is the use case? Uh, sorry, look, there's f- basic like forward and reverse. Like basic summon generally works. I, I put it at, at like a high at a seventy percent ish. It works, meaning I can connect to the car, and the car will back up to where I want it to go. Um, but Smart Summon, my success rate—I mean, success rate—that it connects the car and goes anywhere useful—is zero percent. And the perfect use case is: it's raining, I'm in a lot, there, I'm in, I'm in a sheltered place, and I've clear line of sight, no pedestrians and no traffic. Can the car get to me? And the answer is I've never seen it work. Not once. If anyone would like to come meet me in Brickell or Miami or Miami Beach anytime soon and demonstrate to me where it does, I'll buy you lunch at a place of my choosing. Are we done with the cast today,
2: friends?
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, Are you over? I, don't, I mean, you seem even more I'm upset. Wild you seem more riled up than when we started. Usually I calm up because, down by
0: the end. No, no, I'm more riled up now because between my mother not being able to drive and me spending $260 to get my car back, I'm like, instead of all this BS around this may work someday and that won't work there, This will, what is the product? What is the self-driving product? If a company can't answer that, and just tell me clearly, yeah, if you go here, and pay X. Why will happen? I don't want maybes. I don't want. Sa- I'm okay being told it won't work here if it works there. Just tell me because if I go to a restaurant I order a pizza, I don't want a steak. I order a steak. I don't want a salad. And everything. Life is about product. And everyone who tries to sell you a promise is not selling a product. Sell a product. That that's that an amazing
2: looks- bumper sticker, by the way. Life was it? Life,
0: life promises is
2: about product.
0: And not prom, not promises, not promises. The
1: that that all makes a ton of sense when you say it, Alex. But at the same time, like you spent ten thousand dollars on
0: no, on no, a no, 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 no. Hold on, I I, <laughs> I leased the car, and it was baked in my lease payments, and I did it because at the time I was a journalist, and I felt, and I feel still feel strongly about this, and this is especially true. about it's about Tesla, about self driving, autonomous vehicles, vaccines, Ukraine, whatever you want. Okay. Um, someone before speaking needs to do the work and do the work of thinking about what is and what isn't true, what isn't, what isn't a credible source, and what is or is not going to happen in five minutes, five months, or five years. And all, there's a lot of noise out there. All I ask is that people are honest. And if they are incapable of it or don't understand what they're talking about, keep quiet. Listen. I mean, we're, we're, well, talking about twitter. we're talking about Tesla talking yeah. about right <laughs> the world life the world and everything <laughs> i'm done i was going to say this <laughs> is how twitter, tesla half of, works and on that twitter, note
2: twitter's twitter twitter's the the volume of tweets would fall by 80% if people actually listened to what you were saying
0: you know i i i'm going to speak in defense of uh, competitors to my employer like Whenever someone comes along and says a geofence is like doesn't make sense or it sucks or X, Y, and Z, I'm like, yeah, really? Because a geofence, if it defines a product that can pay for that I like, is a gift. It's a gift. And if it if in its absence I'm confused about the product and therefore not pay for it, <laughs> then there's a the problem. So on that note, let's wrap this up. Edward, anything to say? Thirty seconds or less.
1: No, it's it's good to see you <laughs> so full of, uh, of vigor and, and vitality, Alex.
0: Kirsten, I didn't use his time. You want to say anything? You have a minute.
2: I um, I'm gonna give you back my time. I feel like you just need to end this um, on a on on the, on an Alex Roy note. I'm not gonna say on a high note, but on an Alex Roy note, you've you've obviously got stuff to say, so.
0: I, I yield all, my time. I, I, I would say that um, dogs still bark, the sun still rises, and people should be really kind to each other when you, you know, they should always be kind to each other because there are a lot of people out there who aren't. Be kind to each other.
2: Do <laughs> you <feel> like that? <laughs> the categories. Um, well, folks. You've now just listened to a wild Alex Roy dominated episode, which hasn't happened in a while. And we was not
0: dominated.
2: No, no, no. I mean, this is a good thing. I feel like Ed and I have have been a little too chatty in the last few episodes. So good to see you back. Glad. Hope to have this more in the future.
0: I'm trying to inhabit my role as the Larry David (laughs) of autonomous technology. All right
2: on that note, um, Atanacast listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of The Autonicast.